if you can't skate, you're not going to be able to play at the next level because everybody can fly. Skating is one. Skill level, yeah, you got to have skill. Uh, if you're a big kid, play like a big kid. If you're a small kid, play like a big kid. Okay, you've got to you've got to show no fear because you're playing against big guys. There's only one puck. Everybody wants the puck. Okay, what are they going to do to get that puck? So you got to be able to be really, really quick and have some skill. That was Marty Stein, Western Amateur Scout for the Buffalo Sabres. And you are listening to the Up My Hockey Podcast with Jason Padola. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games but thought he was destined for a 1,000. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Padolan. This is episode 97 Three away from the century, Mark. How exciting. Uh, this is the first podcast to be released in 2023. So if you're listening out there, Happy New Year from Jason Padolan. I hope things have started off on the right foot. You have big goals. You have big plans for 2023. I know this is the time of resolutions. Uh, I don't really like resolutions per se. I'm more in the goal setting um, standpoint. I like I like to try to set up the year. You know, I like to try and put myself in a position of uh, what do I want to get done this year? What do I want to accomplish? Where do I want my intentions to lie? Uh, which is something that I also do with my with my clients and with, with uh, the players that I work with is what, what does this year look like? What does 2023 look like for you? What do you want to do? Where do you want to grow? What do you want to develop? What do you want to accomplish? Uh, often we don't actually ask those questions to ourselves and especially as hockey players, you know, we might have a, this idea of the team we want to play on next year. But what is the plan to make that happen? What are you doing today or tomorrow or next week to make that happen in the fall? How are you going to get stronger, quicker, faster? How are you going to increase your skill set? How are you going to increase your mindset? How are you going to have the personal development required to be that player that you want to be? And without a plan and without some intention, it just doesn't work. So hopefully you're somebody out there that's listening, uh, that you have an intention, you have a plan, you are putting together the pieces of your puzzle uh, to make it work for you. Uh, I think regardless of age, I know there's a lot of hockey parents listen to this as well. Uh, please don't stop growing. That's when you start dying for real. Like you got to continue to grow and develop and acquire new skills and make life fun. Be creative with it. Whether that's not, maybe that's not in your career. Maybe that's just a hobby or maybe that's in your parenting or your relationship. Who knows what that is, but always try and shine a light somewhere where you can grow and, and expand and, um, and be of service. I mean, I think that's a really fun way to, to think about life and to think about how to how to be a contributor. So uh, with the guest today in 2023, we are speaking with Marty Stein. Marty Stein uh, has been a coach. My goodness, what does his bio say here? I think it's like he started with the Red Wings in 20, oh no, 1996. 
So goodness gracious, 1996 to 2021, he was with the Red Wings uh, as a, as first of all as a part-time scout, then as the as a Western amateur scout, and then he got uh, got on with the when the Steve Eiserman regime came in, in in Detroit. He ended up moving to the Buffalo Sabers under Kevin Adams, and he's been in there since 2021 till present. So with the uh, with the the Red Wings, he won four Stanley Cups with them, which is fantastic and he tells a story about uh, about when they won the first one there and and what an experience that was in the interview and he's also won two calder cups and uh and now he's trying to obviously reposition the the buffalo sabers which are definitely trending upwards uh to get back in the playoffs and to get a cup of their own so he's been in the game for a long time 1996 that was actually the year ironically that i won world junior gold with the uh with team canada beating sweden in the final um I, that seems like a long time ago for me, and that was the that was the first time he laced up his uh, his boots to be a scout. So he's been doing this for a long time uh, since then. And uh, anyone that's been around the game that long has been looking at junior players for that long. Obviously, obviously has a lot to offer, and uh, and Marty definitely supplies that here today on uh, on our conversation. If you are a player, you know you always want to know how to be. A difference maker how to stand out how to impact a game and and sometimes it's a lot easier than we think and that's that's totally what happens here in this interview marty talks about you know the just a willingness to compete right that yes you have to skate in today's game and and um and yeah i mean we're gonna you're gonna hear about that in, in the interview and if you feel that skating isn't quite where it needs to be at like you need to be working on your skating that doesn't mean on the ice either uh, young men and young women listening to this like that means off the ice the good old-fashioned slide board is an amazing tool um, weight uh, body weight type exercises are an amazing tool deep lunges deep squats uh, higher repetitions obviously loading is also a good thing but building the leg strength the trunk strength the core strength the butt strength to allow yourself to be powerful and explosive and to hold the proper skating position those are huge things. Yes, it's tough to work on edge work per se off the ice, but if you want to work on strength and power and uh, and your positional strength uh, as a skater, you can do this away from the rink. So uh, yeah, we talk about that. Definitely something you uh, hockey players should be focusing on. And and Marty shines a light on some other things that that he thinks are important. And um, anyway, it was just a great conversation. I, I've been meaning to. Uh, Marty is from Vernon, British Columbia. Uh, we cover that here, and and I see him in the local ranks. I mean, he's been around the hockey schools here that I was a part of growing up. Uh, he He's just been a part of the community and has been given back to hockey for as long as I can remember and just one of the good guys of the game. And uh, I was really happy that he agreed to come on and, and share some of, of his wisdom with us here today. So uh, without further ado, I bring you four-time Stanley Cup champion and two-time Calder Cup champion, a scout for since 1996 at the amateur level, uh, scouting the best players in the Western region for the NHL entry draft, Mr. Marty Stein. Marty Stein, amateur scout for Western Amateur Scout for the Buffalo Sabres. Thanks so much for being here today. Great. Great to have you. Thank you. Awesome. Um, so we go just for the viewers, and maybe I'll cover that in the intro too, but... Um, Marty is from Vernon, BC, or I don't know if you're from Vernon, Marty, I actually don't even know that, but uh, you are from Vernon? Born and raised, yeah. Well, okay, cool. So two Vernonites, that's fantastic. So I, I've definitely known Marty because he's been in hockey for a long time uh, gr growing up and in different capacities. Now you're with the Sabres and 
been in hockey obviously a lot longer before that. I believe you were with Detroit for a long time in the same capacity. Is that correct? I was 25 years with the Red Wings. I started in 96 and uh, then up to a couple of years ago. This is my second year now with the Sabres. Second year with the Sabres. Yeah. Cool. So how was that transition going from uh, an organization that you uh, must have felt like you almost started <laughs> to, uh, well, to going over to Buffalo? Well, you know what? The, um, both, both organizations are first class. Um, <coughs> they're both wonderful. Uh, Detroit treated me just incredible. And uh, they've always said, too, that, you know, it's not what you know sometimes, it's who you know. And I was fortunate to know Ken Holland. We grew up together. Uh, we played minor hockey together. We played junior hockey together. And then when he went to the Western League, I played at, uh, at university. And we kind of came back. And uh, he, when he became uh, the assistant GM and then the GM, uh, they needed somebody out this way. And, uh, and we both agreed that, hey, you'll be a part-time guy starting in 96. Won two Stanley Cups first two years, and I thought, geez, what a great ride so far. <laughs> but uh, very fortunate, four, four Stanley Cups with the Red Wings, and, um, you know, I, that those are the highs. And then, of course, we, we've kind of bottomed out, or they bottomed out. <laughs> and then a couple of years ago, um, or three, four years ago, Steve Eisman comes in, and uh, he wants his own group, and uh, he was really good to me. Steve was just great to me, you know, they – um, and told us that, you know, you can, you guys are perfectly welcome to go out and, and start looking for another job somewhere and we'll give you recommendations. And my wife is a little sour. She says, well, if he's giving recommendations, well, I just keep it. But that's that. <laughs> and uh, Buffalo was one of the teams that uh, I didn't contact and they reached out to me. So I was, I was very fortunate, very, very fortunate. And, and they have been just first class. They're wonderful group of players, or a group of players, of course, but the management team and Jerry Fortin is our director of amateur scouting and the whole staff has been great. Yeah, that's awesome. And maybe we can unpack that a little bit because, <clears throat> well, I, I obviously you know that I know Ken Holland as well. And then I also know your the current GM, uh, Kevin Adams, who I played with for, for a couple of years in St. John's. He's actually been a guest on the podcast. So I know him on a personal level as well. I, <clears throat> I don't know Steve Eiserman, but <clears throat> throughout that transition, you know, now now working for three different GMs is uh, sounds like your experience has been great with all of them. How how was it going moving from somebody that you knew as, you know, I guess an acquaintance, a friend, right, and, and Ken Holland to somebody that you didn't know, but obviously respected and understood who he was in the in the industry and, and Steve Eiserman. How how did that how did that change in that little interim time? Well, you know, a lot of people, uh, like I said before, uh, it's who you know. And, and like I was with the Wings, like I said, for 25 years, and I was with Ken for, well, you know, 22, 23 of those. He kept me on. He kept me on because, one, I did the work. You know, a lot of people think, well, you're only there because you know somebody. He says, no, I, I did the freaking work. You know, so, um, and then when Steve came on board, you got to start proving yourself again. You got to make sure it's all right. Now, Steve, on the other hand, he had a different vision. He wanted his own people, you know, and he stayed and he's changed his staff. Now, when I, I I'm on board with the Sabers and Kevin Adams is the same thing. Kevin's a great guy, you know. He's very, he's not outgoing. He he is very receptive to all ideas, but he also has a vision of where he wants wants his staff to go. And the Sabers have rebuilt their whole scouting staff and administration as well. Um, so again, I'm I'm proving myself to another GM, and 
I think so far so good. You know, we're, um, we really mesh well. I'm the second oldest guy on the staff and that. Uh, um, so uh, I feel like the Yoda of our staff, the, you know, but uh, it's all good. Yeah, I find that interesting because it, it's uh, there's a massive parallel between what what you're talking about in your profession and even from the player side. Because I, I remember when, uh, oh my gosh, drawing a blank now, Mr. Fletcher got fired in Toronto, right? Who was a guy who traded yeah, for me, and Mike Smith came yeah. in, and and you know GMs do want to put their own fingerprints on a team. You know, I mean, similar to probably what Kevin Adams did or Steve Eiserman, right? So that comes from the scouting staff, but it also comes from the players. Like I. At the time, as a player, I didn't really recognize it per se, more so now looking back. But, like, I just wasn't in Mr. Smith's plans, like, for whatever reason, right? Like, I think, you know, he just wanted his own guys in there, and, and that was the way it was. So it's uh, that might be an interesting thing as a pro scout. I know you're an amateur scout, but to, when, when GMs now come in, like, to see who is in their system that maybe might become available or maybe not of interest anymore. You know, I know that's a big piece of the puzzle is finding sort of unutilized assets other places. Um, Do you think that there's maybe a a game to that? I believe so. Just like I said, the GM, again, with Buffalo, they had uh, uh, Jason Botterill, you know, when he got let go, it was a, it was a clean sweep. The owner, and new GM, they just said, enough's enough. You know, we are going to rebuild again. And so all the guys that have come on board now, we're, they're all new people within the last two, three years. So, again, they've got a vision. And the vision itself has, has, kind, of, has kind of sped up, okay? Uh, and, and that includes, um, for example, in Detroit, we had, um, uh, we had four pro scouts. In Buffalo, we have one pro scout, Okay. In Detroit, we have two directors of player development. In in Buffalo, we have four guys. Adam Mayer covers those guys, right? And they're more or less like pro scouts as well. You know, they go look at our prospects and they look at the prospects that we could be looking at, but they're also looking at the pros. And uh, both, both ways have got their virtues, both ways have got uh, um, their pros and cons, but I think it's I think it's more pro because you want to develop a system not just you know just from the NHL but you want to have a great feeder line and our feeder line is in Rochester and when we were in uh, Detroit it was it was Grand Rapids and those guys were there for a reason and then you know as well as I do you know you played in the NHL you played in the American League with those top end guys in the AHL there's not much difference from the guy playing in the NHL. It all depends on what organization they're with. And so these guys, the pro scout, he's trying to figure out, okay, who's going to best mesh into our system, into our organization? And that goes with the amateurs too, but we're looking at four or five years down the road. Right. The one thing I always wonder with with the scouts, and you, you mean you've said it now twice, I think, that it's not always what you know, but who you know. And, and of course, networking is a is a big deal in any industry, uh, you know, and, and hockey's, hockey's no exception. But when it comes to that, like – being a scout and let's say getting hired or being interviewed uh the resume like the length of your resume as far as tenure i'm sure i'm sure matters but th- there's no stats at least that uh, that i'm unaware of you know it's not like a hockey player it's like oh you knew he was in the hl and he had 40 here and he scored 30 here like how do you like what do you come to the table with as a scout like can you, can you tell other teams like who you kind of who you saw is there like some star picks that you can say or, or how do you how do you put your best foot forward and let them know that you're good at your job you, you mean as a scout? 
Yeah, as a scout, right, when you're getting interviewed, you know, because uh, yeah. it, it's th- that's more behind the scenes stuff, right? It's not like a coach who has wins and losses and, yeah, uh, yeah. you know what I mean? So I wonder how that how that aspect of it works. Well, yeah. well to me, it, like, as you know, I was a teacher for 32 years. I got hired in my hometown. <laughs> I applied for a job. I got a job. I retired, okay, in 2013 because, uh, and I retired a year early because I had another job. I, I was scout with the Red Wings. So it was easy process for me. I didn't have to go out and do a resume and that type of thing. And then all of a sudden when I did not resign with Detroit, now I've got to, now I've got to send out a resume. So, well, what's on your, Jerry Fortin, like he said, look, Marty, we still want a resume. So I haven't done a resume since I was 21 or something like that, right? And I'm going, holy geez, what I got put in. So I put in a resume, you know, a scout, blah, 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 won four Stanley Cups, won two Calder Cups, you know. Uh, and it's not like the old days where, you know, I found this player. I found this player. We have players that were in my area, like Darren Helm, for example, okay? Darren Helm played in the Western Hockey League. He's played in Medicine Hat. He was in my area. I wrote reports on him. Detroit drafted him. Okay, it's not like well, that's Marty Stein's guy. No, that's that's a Detroit Red Wing guy, right? And and, and that's the same with Buffalo now. With uh, um, uh, we had uh, um, oh shit, um, excuse me. Um, we had a kid in in Kamloops, Matt Lindgren. Okay, took him in the fourth round last year. He's a D man. Okay, is that Marty Stein's guy? No, it's just a guy that was in my area and that everybody liked him. So. You know, getting to your point, I haven't really had to do anything like that. There are other scouts now who have, you know, they've they've been with three, four teams, and all of a sudden they got to prove themselves. You know, what have you done for your team? I can't speak for them, but it's just it's just one of those things. There's, you know, you got to put in the time, you got to put in the work ethic, you got to go to the games. You know, uh, is there a dinner with the family when you should be going to a game and that? You know, you got to go to these games and you've got to know your players because, for example, again, like when I have my midwinter meetings next week, I got to know my area. If somebody mentions a name, I got to know that guy. I've got to have seen him at least once or twice when it comes to the, oops, when it comes, when it comes to the draft, you know, we're sitting there and you've seen it as well. There's names coming across the board. And we're uh, and guys are looking at me. Well, that guy's from the Western Hockey League, or that guy was from the BC Hockey League, and I just go, no, you know, I don't know how he got drafted. We didn't have him on our list, but I got to be able to to vouch to say, look, yes, I have seen him. He's not a draft, or I can't just say and go, oh, geez, that's a good pick, right. <laughs> you know, and I didn't know about him. Right. So. Uh, you've got to do your homework and and it's just like a player you got to work your tail off you got to do that in practice you got to work hard just to get in the list yeah and when it comes to um scouting and just as you were talking about get, getting out and seeing guys i know some teams and some organizations are, are shifting away uh from the from the eyeballs live eyeballs like the you know with video being so so accessible now and and scouts can sit at home and watch video I mean if it's mandated from the team it, where, where's buffalo in that in that aspect is are you allowed to watch so many games on video or do you have to get to see so many games live how does that work yeah yeah we do um when when jason botterill was the gm and, and now this is just for what i hear okay 
um, he he was a sole believer in doing video as well, seeing players on video. <laughs> there's a number of, of different avenues that you can go. There's Insta, uh, Instat, there's Sports IQ. Okay, um, uh, I'm an Instat fan. Uh, when I watch a game, I'll go to Instat because it, it just kind of shows you uh, just one player shifts. You don't have to watch the whole game. You see these players shifts and that. And um, we do cycles, okay? Uh, but there's nothing, there's nothing like going to a game live and seeing the player. Because what you don't see on the TV is him coming back to the bench, the body language, the smashing of the stick or the chirping at a coach or chirping at the referee and, and things like that. You're just going by what the camera's showing you, right? So I, I, it shows me, you know, some skill work, a shot, you know, skating ability. But I'm a firm believer in going and seeing the kid live. All right. It's interesting you mentioned the, the, those things because I've heard different people analyze those differently. And I, and I guess, I mean, it's totally situational. But the chirping, let's say, of another player, right? Some people will think, oh, uh, I don't know got behavioral issues or can't control his temper and some people like i like his fire you know like is, is that like have you found yourself in that depending on on who it is and how they're using some of those things oh yeah you know um there's some timid players out there i mean uh, uh they'll just go about their business they'll play hard and they don't pay any attention you know to getting hacked and whacked or the you know the face face rubs or anything like that but then there comes to a point where you've had enough you know and I like to see that fire where it says, you know, it's enough. You, you pissed me off now. And he gives a, and he takes a swing or does something. That shows me a bit of fire in him. But I also like the timing of it too. You know, right. don't don't do it just for the sake of doing it. Okay, there's got to be a reason for it. Right. Yeah, for sure. When um. When you were talking about winning the Stanley Cup, so I just want to go back to Detroit just for a bit because obviously, I mean, like organizational success anyone a part of that organization feels it like what, what was that like from a from a scout whether you were part-time at that time or full-time like did you were you included in that whole celebration and how was that how how did that feel from from your from your perspective being involved in that oh it was it was amazing it was like i've i've told my wife this i've told my kids this and anybody that listens I've, I've always wanted to be in the nhl but apparently i didn't really you know say how I wanted to be in the NHL. So when, like I said, when we won the Stanley Cup there those first two years, uh, it was it was, it was was just amazing, you know, and, and, and especially the first year because Detroit hadn't won a Stanley Cup for a long time. And so I remember being, uh, <coughs> I, I, I remember being in the hotel in Livonia and we were going to go to the game that night and everybody's meeting around it and Gordy Howe's there. And everybody's milling about Gordy Howe, and you know you feel nervous. And I go and shake his hand. I'm Marty Stein on scout, and you know he does the pat and the elbow thing, you know, and get picture taken, and and uh, and so all, that was that was just a process, you know. I was picked up at the airport, you know, by a driver, and then you go to the and you go to the rink. You got these special play, like special seats, and that, and of course we win the cup. We get to go down on the ice. We have the you know, all access passes, and I'm going, this is this is surreal, right? And then, and then we go, after the game, we go up to the owner's box, because in Joe Lewis Arena, the, uh, the owner's box was at the one end, okay, uh, up above where the Zamboni is. And it's just a massive suite, and there's a huge party there, 
right? And this, Steve Eisenman brings a cup up and the owner's there and family's there. And, you know, it, like it's all a blur now. But the next year we won it again. So I'm thinking, okay, now I kind of know what to do. <laughs> you know, what's this all that? But uh, it, it's it's just amazing. You know, uh, and yes, it, it, we were included in everything. And I, and I like to think that any NHL team that does go that far and does win the Stanley Cup, they do the same thing. Right. I mean, you watch the celebrations out on the ice, <laughs> you know, and you're panning panning the ice and that, and you see families and that, and I, and I look, oh, there's so-and-so the scout, and there's so-and-so scout, and there's an assistant GM and that. So it's pretty yeah. cool. That is cool. I've told the story a few times on here, just like my experience at training camp there, the, I don't even know what year it was now, but I went to Detroit and, and just the feeling of like the culture was just different there than any other team that I'd been with. I mean, from the players all the way from the training yeah. staff, all the way up, you know, and, and, uh, you know, to your point saying any, any team that wins, it would probably do the same thing. And I, and I would agree with you because to be a winner, you probably have to have that family like approach, right. And mentality. Um, but if you were to insert some of the bottom dwellers into that position, I think like just from a time warp perspective, I bet you there wouldn't be everyone there, you know, because I, yeah. You know, it's just, it, it, it is so different, like that feeling. And there was definitely an, an inclusive feeling in Detroit. And that was awesome that everyone got to be a part of that. So super, yeah, super yeah. cool. Um, I wouldn't mind going back to Lindgren. So you said Lindgren, I think that's a, a, maybe a cool thing just for, for the listeners to understand. So you like, so he's in your area. This is a Kamloops Blazer guy playing the WHL, ended up being a fourth round pick of yours in 2022. Now you would have eyes on him first. Um, and then you would have your reports at your meetings like you're talking about. And so you... I don't know how those meetings work. Maybe you might want to tell me that, but you would maybe present on a few players that you think are are, are draftable. Uh, and then how how does that now get to everyone agreeing on this guy? Does does a director of scouting have to come in? Does a GM have to come in? Like who else has to see him live for him to become a pick with the Buffalo Sabres? We um, you hit the nail on the head. Like we go and see we go and see our area guy or our area teams and players all the time, and we have. Uh, a program every, every NHL team has this program called RinkNet, and I'm pretty sure there's a lot of uh, Western League teams and junior teams that do the same thing. And it's a, and it's just a huge database. And of course, we are only allowed you know, we just see ours. We can't see anybody else anybody else's teams. <clears throat> so I punch in my reports, and you know we rate them rate them uh, to where we think they should be. You know, and what round some comparables to other players. Um, and then what happens is that go, that goes back to our director of amateur scouting, our assistant director of amateur scouting, our chief scout, and we have a couple crossover scouts as well. And so that's that's their job. They're always crossing over. They're coming to see, you know, you know, Marty's got this guy here that I should be looking at. And so it's just a compilation, a compilation of all the of all the reports and that these guys come and. You know what? We're we're pretty bang on with all our reports. We're kind of even in in, in what we see because basically the, our staff we've got a lot of guys that you know they've been in the business for a long time. So they come across, and then so again, like we do our midwinter meetings, and we have all our scouts. And what happens then is we kind of mesh. We start putting players where we think they're going to be. You know, and we try to, and we try to put it in order. Okay, it's our pick. Who do we pick? Boom, this guy. If he's not available, next, the best available. Blah blah blah. So second half, we do the same thing. 
And uh, again, our director of amateur scouting will come, our chief scouts will come. And then in May, we do the same thing again. We have our final meetings, but that's, they call it the final meetings, but there's still a lot of stuff to go on. There's still going to be some movement. Um, but we do our homework, too, on these kids. It's not just what you see on the ice. You know, we've got to look up, are there any red flags in this kid? Is this kid drink? Is this, you know, is there problems with family life? What kind of, you know, what kind of uh, friends does he hang out with? Uh, 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 you know, there's a whole bunch of things that comes into his into his portfolio. And then come in, come in June, and there's the combine in Buffalo, where you bring all, you know, the top 100, 110 players, and they do the fitness testing, you do the psychological testing, you do all this stuff. So again, it's another thing that put the, you put these kids through the ringer, you know, I mean, and by the time the draft comes, the list that you have, you know, that's more or less it. We've done our homework, you know, so we know exactly who who we want, who we're high on, and we put them accordingly. Right. So you would go like, would you have a list like one to two hundred or whatever, like uh, to to see, like, or do you just try and zero in on maybe the fifteen twenty guys that are in your pick slots? Well, right now it's more or less the top fifteen, you know, uh, top fifteen, top twenty, and then. <clears throat> We try to get our top 70 guys, top 100 guys, and that sort of thing. And then once, you know, once we've kind of seen where, what what we've got, you know, probably round six, round seven, you know, I know uh, our guys, have, uh, our, our head guys have always said, you know, if there's a guy out there that you really feel strongly about, you know, start banging the table or let me know. And, you know, and so we've, we have done that where we get, you know, somebody, let, let's just roll the dice on this kid. You know, for example, there could be a kid in college. And here's a kid you can tuck away for four years because you don't have to sign him for four years when he's in college. If you draft him out of the CHL, you've only got two years to sign him. So, so you, but you also want to hit a home run. Yeah, it, like last year we had, what, 10, 10, 11 picks. We had three in the first round. We like to think that every one of our picks is a player that can make the Buffalo Sabres, okay? It's not a friend of a friend, uh, let's do him a favor. You know, right. uh, that's happened. <laughs> yeah. But um, but you, you want to make sure that you've got a player that you that you really want and that has a chance of playing. Right. And it's a totally imperfect science. I mean, as it's been said, it's hard, it's hard, to, it's hard to project 17-year-old, oh. 18-year-old kids, right? Uh, and then even with now, with all the like the greater bandwidth, right, of like the the extent of what you're going to with the psychological testing, the fitness testing, and the you know the background checks, and it's, and it's still, it's still tough. I would love to be, and I'm sure there's lots of fans that would uh, that would like to be in in the war room per, per se, if that's what the, the right word would be, um, for the discussions because. I, I would assume it takes a, a well tenured man like yourself that's been around it, like to have to have a voice, right? Because there must be guys that you like and others others yeah. don't, and and that's where you got to figure it out. I mean, how much do you like them? How much do you want to go go to bat for them? Yeah. Well, you know what? I think that's more or less in the later rounds, <coughs> and that's where the area scouts come in. Yeah, your top half of the picks, we more or less like them. Okay, if there's a player, we have come to the conclusion. As a group, yes, we like him, and that is why he's there. We're not going to have three guys love him and three guys hate him. You know, why are we doing this? You know, why is this player there then? Right? Uh, uh, um, when we get to that point, 
he's got to be a player that can help. Yeah. Is, is the last in all, uh, I don't know if you're around for a draft with Steve or not, but you're obviously there with Ken a lot. And, uh, and now you've been through a couple with the Sabres. Is, is it generally the GM's call? I mean, I, I, I've heard that it's usually like the GM's call one, two, three. I, although I should preface this. The GM has to own all the picks because that's what his job is. But generally speaking, like he would want to have eyes himself on some of these guys. And then after that, he would defer to his staff for the picks or, or how does that usually work? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, with Ken, we had our um, our director of amateur scouting when I first started was Joel with Joel McDonnell, and he now has the same job with the Dallas Stars, with Jim Miller, and uh, everything kind of went through him, and that. But it was still Ken still had to give the stamp of approval, okay. And then and then we went to Tyler Wright. Tyler Wright, you know, you know Tyler, he knows all the players. You know, he's. He's the one that basically is going to have the last word, and Ken gave him that ability to do that. It's still Ken's call, you know. They're they're going to say, "Hey, Ken Holland did this," you know. And now they're both in Edmonton, and well, they're going through. They're getting flack over there, apparently. So, anyways, they still got a good timeline. But but then with Steve, Steve comes on board with the Red Wings, and Chris Draper is the director of so. Ran the draft. He did everything there. Bottom line, it's still Steve's stamp of approval. But they've come to, uh, you know, they've come to an agreement. So, yeah, this this is the guy we, we have. And then uh, I, again with Jerry Fort and Kevin Adams, that's that's the same thing. Jerry's very very knowledgeable. He goes all over the place, and just like Chris was too. But um, the bottom line is the GM. It's going to be his stamp of approval. But he's got a really really trusted director of amateur scouting, assistant GM, and, and anybody who is involved in that process. Right. Is there is there an organizational philosophy um, that you've seen in, in the differences, meaning like, I don't know, like let, let's say like the wings in, 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 the, in the 90s there seemed like they were a puck possession type team. You know, they wanted to have high-flying skaters or maybe the – uh, let's just say the Flyers wanted to have more of a of a grit presence. It seemed like you know, like is is that something that would actually happen at the draft level? Like these are the types of players we like, um, or are you just kind of looking for the best player? Well, it's kind of yes and yes. Um, uh, back you know, uh, back in the nineties, there was no salary cap. You know, I remember uh, oh God ninety six, ninety seven. There's no salary cap, and the and the, the Red Wings, God, we were getting Luke Robitaille, Brett Hall, you know, all these guys to to win the Stanley Cup. And and these guys have had already made all this money. And Ken Holland would go to him and says, you know, here's the pie. How much of the pie do you want? I'll give you the whole pie. If I give you the whole pie, we're not going to win. Okay. And so all these guys came to an agreement that, okay, this is how much money is going to be put out. We just want to win. Okay. Salary cap comes in, which puts everybody on an even plane. Now you're looking for the best, you know, basically the best player available. Some 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 drafts are really strong. This year's draft is going to be strong. There's a lot of uh, good Western kids, you know, in the in the WHL, uh, the Ontario League, Quebec League. I heard is not as strong as it used to be, you know. So it kind of goes in cycles. Bottom line is we're still trying to get the best player. I just want to take a short break from my conversation with Marty Stein to remind you that Up My Hockey is more than a podcast. 
It is more than the great guests that I try to give you every week with the conversations about how to be your best and how to maximize your potential and and uh, what scouts are looking for, like in this case uh, here with Marty Stein, who's been doing it for 25 years. Uh, it's also many things. It's a holistic idea to development. It's developing the person behind the hockey player. It's talking about the intangibles required to be your best. And that exists in many places. Uh, these concepts, these ideas, these lessons, strategies, uh, you can find them at upmyhockey.com where you can find the entire list of services, whether you are a team or an association or an individual that would like to explore uh, what mindset and peak potential looks like and, and, um, and act on it. And it's also a Facebook group. It's Up My Hockey Facebook group. There's a Facebook group there that's completely free. Uh, parents from all over North America come together and uh, I ask questions. We have conversations. Uh, I share I share clips with some of my interviews. We, we, uh, we talk uh, hot topics. Uh, we share our mental performance tactics, uh, how to support your athlete. All this good stuff exists at Up My Hockey parent group on Facebook. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at Jason Padolan. And as I'm sure you know, if you haven't already, these interviews are posted posted on my YouTube channel, uh, Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan. Surprise, surprise. So if you do want to see the entire interview, uh, that is where you can see it. I also post clips there as well and video uh, video tutorials and, and things of that nature. So lots of places to follow Up My Hockey and to see what it's all about. Uh, really appreciate your support wherever you choose to, uh, to consume the content from Up My Hockey, uh, but there is a place for you out there. Uh, also, if you get in touch on my website and the contact email address um, or your, your contact form that I will get your email address and you can add it to the email list uh, where uh, the content comes direct to you and you don't have to go looking for it. So once again, thank you so much for being here today. Happy New Year. Uh, this is the first episode released in 2023. I hope you're enjoying it. And um, yeah, now back to the episode with Marty Stone. Since you're talking about this year's draft, or you mentioned it, you mean, and, and we're recording this uh, hours before the gold medal game here at the World Junior uh, Championship. And Connor Bedard, if anyone is uh, a hockey fan is and doesn't live under a rock, you, you've seen what this kid is doing here at this tournament, um, and draft eligible, of course. And then, and, and some are saying he is the you know the next generational player. Uh, do you what, what do you see in, in him uh, specifically? I guess uh, that that you like, or maybe even things that you maybe don't like, or maybe things that you think might be a challenge for him at the next level. He's a game changer. You know, he's he's such a dynamic, he's such a dynamic player. <laughs> I've had the pleasure of watching him live three times, and and, uh, and you know, just the way he plays. Uh, for example, you know, there's a puck got there's a puck that got thrown in in towards him, and it was about waist high, and he knocked it down. Not only did he knock it down, but he knocked it right down to his stick. You know. Some guys would just knock it down and it'll flutter away three or four feet and you got to go get it. This would just knock it down. Boom, there it is. Um, his shot, he can shoot from anywhere. It's such a quick release. And it's kind of funny you brought him up. Uh, watching TSN this this morning, they did, a, they did a feature on him. And, you know, they're talking to the mom and dad. They're talking to the neighbors. And here's a kid that was shooting in the backyard shooting in the backyard there are broken windows there's against the garage door uh they even they even had a a, a short a bit there where where he, they went to they went to maui for a 10-day vacation he brought his hockey sticks and he brought his roller skates along and he stick handling he stick handling in the in the house and everything here's a kid that has been 
eating and living hockey his whole life. Okay, and there's a reason why he's where he is right now. Um, he's just phenomenal. Now, having said that, whatever team gets him, he's they're still going to have to surround him with some talent as well. Because if he makes a pass, who's going to give it back to him? You know, it, like you can't have a young kid like that, you know, always going out and getting the puck. He's going to get banged around a lot. Yeah, he uh, I, I didn't see him live. And like, I just only kind of saw the highlights of him. And, and, and there's obviously a ton to like with the highlight package of sort of anyone. But I I was like, I'm not sure if he like if he sees the ice or uses people around him very well. And then I was like this tournament, I was like, Oh my God, he sees the ice amazingly. Like, yeah. you know, he, he, yeah. he has really good vision and, and makes those passes that, you know, only really elite players can make. So he kind of, he, he totally quelled that question mark for me. Um, the, the other thing that to, to me, he's great players seem to be able to find space all the time. Right. Or they have a little bit more time than other people. And, and I've, and I, it's kind of an interesting thing to to try and dissect but I, I was i was wondering it doesn't like he's quick but do you think he's fast like he seems to be able to turn it on and off but i don't know like, I, he doesn't really have breakaway speed would you say or where, where do you he, think no he doesn't you know what he, when he doesn't have the puck you know he's skating around and, and you know he's back checking he doesn't have a great speed just like he said it's above average. It's adequate for the WHL. And, that, and I'm sure once he gets stronger and bigger, he's going to get a better stride in that. But where his quickness is, is his his agility and quickness with the puck. The kid can turn on a dime. He can go laterally. He can stop. He can, you know, he break the defender's ankles, for God's sake, sometimes, right? So that's his, that's one of his strengths. And then, uh, and like you said, his vision... <laughs> You know, when he's got the puck, you know, he could be looking this way and all of a sudden the puck's going this way. And you watch some of the highlights, you know, just his eyes, where they're going. And he, it's just like a basketball point guard, right? He's looking this way and boom, there's the puck going the other way, or the ball yeah. going the other way. So, yeah. no, he's a phenomenal player. Yeah, he's um, and I like yeah, I, mean, I like you talking about his edges, and maybe that's and that's something that I've I've been working on, like with my youth players coming up. It, it's just like that ability to change direction, but also to change direction and maintain your speed while you're doing it, right? Like, I think that's something that he's tremendous at. He's, he's able to to have the deception and then to turn back, but he's not turned back and he's stopped and he's actually accelerating out of that turn and now he's creating more space for himself. And yeah. and I, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's interesting watching, for me, watching a guy like Fantilli. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because uh, before this tournament, there was, there was, I mean, not a lot of discussion, but there was like some, maybe there's a chance that Fantilli could be one, right? That there's a little bit of a horse race here. Um, obviously, Bedard is, has lit this tournament up and kind of seems to have changed it. It seems like everyone in the world thinks he'll go number one. But watching Fantilli, my God, he's big, strong, fast. Like, he seems more explosive to me than than Bedard. And, and like when I try and project that to the NHL, like, I think that he's more of a can't miss as far as player is concerned. Uh, how do you feel about him? Like he hasn't shown as well from points, but he, he definitely has a facility that that's pretty impressive. He looks, you know, you, I think you hit the nail on the button there. He's a kid probably, you know, just because of size and maturity, he might be more of an impact player right away. I think, I still think the dart is going to be a player that, that, that can change a game. Uh, Fantilli will probably be a more consistent player to begin with, yeah. you know, because of his size, he's already a man and, 
And and, and, and I, I really think Bedard is going to be one of those players, once he gets stronger, he's going to be so hard to knock off his knock off the puck and you know and not that he needs to get knocked off the puck but his agility and like you said his edges are just incredible i mean they're two different players yeah you know and you know it, is any team going to go outside the box you know to, and and do that uh like last year you know uh, you got the slovak kid montreal takes a big slovak kid uh Sierkowski and you know and right falls down to number four and you know, it, it all becomes, you know, who's going to make an impact? Who's going to help your team right away? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the thinking there is. I I don't think the thinking this year is going to be like like it was last year. I still think the Bedard will go first. And, but whoever gets Fantilli is going to get a hell of a player too. So. Yeah. Do you think, like, as far as, like, the guesswork is concerned, is, is he going to be, do you think at the end of the day he'll be like a Sidney Crosby? Is he is he a generational guy like some people are thinking? <laughs> um, probably. Yeah. But, again, it all depends who you get to play with him. You know, yeah. Sidney Crosby was lucky. He You know, he gets Malkin. They get Malkin uh, 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 in the next draft, and then they had uh, – uh, you know, flurry as their goaltender, and then all of a sudden, well, geez, it, that, that's not a bad thing to build around. Right. Now, having said that, too, they're saying that in Edmonton as well. You've got McDavid, you got Drysidle. You know, um, you know why aren't why aren't they winning? You you, you still got to surround those guys with players. Yeah. You know, you've got to have those bottom six play, uh, guys that can help the team. Do you see Bedard as a center or a winger? Like I know he's playing wing here, but he's—I uh, believe—he's a center in, in Regina when he's when he's playing in his junior team. What do you think he projects at the NHL level? A forward. <laughs> he's going to be a forward, right? So um, I don't know—is he strong on the draw? I don't think he—you know—because of his size, he's not that strong with faceoffs right now. Again, because of his strength, but he's all over the ice. You know, you can't really say that he's going to be a center. You know, on the power play, he's always rolling around. You know, first thing he's, you know, he's the QB on the point. Next thing you know, he's off on the on the half wall. He's letting, you know, pucks go and that. I, I think, you know, the deception is a lot of these players, they're not really centers. They're not really wingers. You know, maybe if you're a big guy, you know, you're going to be a power forward and that. But with Bedard, I think... I think he's just going to be a, a swing man. He's going to be all over the place. Right. There's the puck. Go do what you want. <laughs> right. Um, and just, I mean, everyone's saying a ton of good stuff about him. And, and I know when, you're, when your skill set is, is that high, um, you know, d defense is overlooked. You I mean, I, he definitely needs to learn how to play the other side of the puck. I don't know how much teams want him to play the other side of the puck because a lot of his offensive instincts are timing that transition and the turnovers and, and getting those breakaways. So I do understand that there's a little give and take in that area. But the one thing that I think that I saw that I wasn't like where I was like, ooh, I don't know if I like that look was when he had that one turnover and he gave, gave, the, gave it all in his back check and he kind of bumped into the post and then almost like he – you know, died a little bit there, and that puck goes cross crease. I remember that was against. Like, you know, you talked about body language and stuff earlier when you're watching players. Like, well, I don't know if you were to dissect that. Like, what does does that tell you anything about him? Or is that any type of a red flag at all? No, I I don't think so. He could have been tired. You know, he could have been frustrated. You know, yeah. he's last seconds of a shift, and uh, um, uh, those 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 are the things that you can fix. 
you know, when you get the pro level, and again, you know as well as I do, playing playing defense is it's not you know it's a skill, but it's also a mindset. And you have to want to play defense and get back hard. It's a two foot or it's a it's a two hundred foot game. You know the the like the offensive guys. It's not like the old days where Brett Hull, God, he never came back across the red line. You know uh, his job was to score goals. You know and raise his hands. So, um, but Bedard, you can't teach what he has right now. But what he doesn't have is maybe playing some solid defense. That'll come. That'll yeah. come. Um, when it comes to when it comes to players, and I, I said before we started, I definitely want to talk about this. I think it's important because a lot of the listeners here are, are aspiring players. You know that that listen to up my hockey and 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 the parents of those players. And one of the questions that always comes up when when I'm standing in rinks is, you know, what are what are scouts looking for? Or how do I stand out? Or how do I get noticed? Uh, is there a criteria that you follow, or or what would be the things that you're looking for in a hockey player when you when you're showing up at these junior rinks? Well, there's uh, there is a number of things, and and um, the one thing that I really allude to is um, when I was with Detroit, we had or still there still is a tournament in Traverse City, Michigan, and eight teams, eight NHL teams, bring their top prospects to that tournament, <laughs> and they're allowed three three players that have played uh, two years of professional hockey. Okay, and they're usually American Hockey League players, but basically they're they're junior drafts and they're invites players that you think that help the organization. Now these guys are still away from from the NHL. I watch that, and these kids, young men, can skate. They skate. Well, you came to training camp in Traverse, okay, and you were probably there, you know, just after the tournament itself, and. So you saw what 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 these kids are doing. They're busting their butts. They're going hard. Fast forward to when I go to a rink. I, just, I still remember this. I was at a BCHL hockey game. There was this kid that was flying around. He had some skill in that. And the guy next to me was a fan. I said, oh, that kid's going to play in the NHL. And I says, you know, I'm thinking to myself, there ain't no hope in heck this kid is going to play in the NHL. He was all over the place. Skill level is okay, but yeah, you, like the, again, you got to have a mindset. There's certain skills you got to have, and the biggest thing is you have to be able to skate. If you can't skate at a high level or a high speed, you're not going to make it. I don't care how skilled you are. Now, this, now this is me, and the, and I think a, a, a number of scouts do the same thing. If you can't skate you're not going to be able to play at the next level because everybody can fly. Okay? And if you're a type of kid that can stick candle in the phone booth, but you're, but you're just in one spot, again, you're not going to make it. So skating is one. Skill level, yeah, you got to have skill. Um, uh, if you're a big kid, play like a big kid. If you're a small kid, play like a big kid. Okay? You've got to you've got to show no fear because you're playing against big guys, okay? As soon as you start sidestepping, you know, the, the hit and everything like this, you know, there's a lot more of that coming, okay? There's only one puck. Everybody wants the puck, okay? What are they going to do to get that puck? So you got to be able to be really, really quick and have some skill. Yeah. 
as far as like I, I don't know if that term's still used, but you know, perimeter players, let's say, or, or guys that'll go yeah, you know, kind of to the dirty areas. That you you kind of need both. I mean, you don't want to have too many perimeter guys, I, I guess. But like, how does a how does a guy who's smaller, let's say, maybe a um, you know, a puck distributor type of guy, a guy who creates space for other people, but not really a first guy in the forecheck is going to bang anybody. Uh, what do you want to see from that type of player when it comes to competitiveness? Like, where 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 can they show their heart or or you know or their will? I guess if that's the type of player that they are, you've got to be willing to take a hit. Okay, you might not be the most physical player going out and hitting guys, and I've seen you know these these smaller players go try to hit a big kid. Well, the big the big kid's elbows when they're hard elbow pads are the same height as the kid's head, right? And so the kids are going to get hurt. So if you're a smaller player, you still got to be willing to go into into that traffic. I mean, not try to go get hurt or anything, but you got to be willing to go out and, and try to get that puck. Maybe bump it, you know, just bump off and use the bumper, uh, the D-man as the bumper, and but still try to get in and get physical. You don't have to get 20 hits a game to be effective. Okay, but you got to be willing to go in there and take a couple hacks and whacks and that, but still come out with the puck. Right. Yeah. When I'm talking with my players, like I think a guy like Artemi Panarin, I, I think is just so so good at that. Like he, he'll go into traffic and he doesn't ever hit anybody, but he very often comes out with the puck, right? Because he's just so yeah. skilled with his IQ and also his his stick awareness, right? To be able to get pucks and be deceptive with that and. Um, you know, I wouldn't call him. I mean, nobody's scared to play against Panarin in a physical sense, but I mean, you are you are scared of that you might not end up with the puck. So I think there's, you know, so in other words, he's competitive, right? I think he's really competitive on pucks, but just not a way that a, you know, like you said, a Tom Wilson might be competitive on pucks. Yeah, but but he still has to have the the speed to get out of that situation, right? I mean, yeah. you go in, get the puck in that, but you got to get out of there quick too. You know, right. don't wait for somebody to hack and whack you again, and then well. You've defeated the purpose of going in and getting the puck. Hundred percent. Is there, uh, as far as the, the little areas of the game, like I mean, I've I've had a few conversations with coaches and stuff, and maybe even like now I'm working at the you know the junior A level and talking with different colleges, and uh, the players are so so concerned about their their stat line, right? You I mean across the board, right? Like how many points do I have, and what does that look like? Um, but every team, like let's just say a five six D man, like a five six D man is usually somebody that obviously can still skate, as you said, and, and wants to exit the zone and wants to defend well. Like, that's not going to be somebody that has a big stat line. Like, do you do you draft guys or do you look at players for what role they might be as a pro or are you just trying to find the highest skill player? So, and I, maybe we should talk about that, right? Because the skill set the skill set of a 5'6 D-man is different than the skill set of a top-of-the-umbrella uh, D-man. Right, so you would say he's less skilled, but there is still obviously a skill set required to be a five six D man uh, successfully. So how, how do you how do you unpack that, and and, and is something that you draft directly for? You know what, that's a great point because in the last uh, just this just this past week and just before Christmas, I was watching some teams, and there's some and there's some D men that are exactly the same thing. They don't do anything outstanding, but they don't do anything wrong. You know, they're they are so dependable. They're defensive. You know, it's not that they stay within their their comfort zone with the puck and that, but when they do get the puck, they make the you know move the puck quickly. You know, and it's not that mindset. If I don't have the puck, I can't make a mistake. Well, <clears throat> yes, you can, 
<laughs> but excuse me, these guys, the, these guys are your four, five, six, seven D men, right? Every team needs those guys. You got to be able to have a guy that is dependable because you might have an offensive guy who's worried about his stats or whatever. He's always up there. So he still needs somebody to hang back. And uh, there's there's probably three or four guys that that I'm looking at right now that fit that mold. You know, I would love to have them on our team. I you know plunk them in in the American League or in the East Coast League, watch them develop. Right. Um, those are guys that you need. Now, if you do have a kid that's, you know, more or less looking at points, you now, for example, in the BCHL, and the, like the BCHL is a great league if you want to be discovered and get a scholarship. And, you know, if you play pro, that's, that's just bonus. But if you want to get, get an education, there's some guys who are thinking, you know, the more stats I have, the better it is. That's not always the case, you know. Like I talk to a lot of college coaches who ask their opinion on certain players and that it's just what they need. It's what their needs are now. They've already got two, three guys that can put up points. They need those types of D-men or a bottom six forward that is going to be really good in their defensive zone. So regardless of what type of player you are, there's going to be, there is going to be a need for it. All right. I know, and that's kind of the thing, and it's the challenge for me, like working with these players, to get them to believe that, you know, because, and and we, we can find a ton in, in history that have been like average junior players, let's just say, like an average WHLer, meaning like a third liner, like maybe 15 goals, 15 assists, but like does what he does well, who is an average AHLer, who then turns out to be an average NHLer, but no one that ever like, you know, blew up the radar anywhere, right? Because those guys yeah. just continue to do what they do and they do it well on every level. And then there's also the guys that we've seen that have been high point producers at such and such a level, but then that that's a tighter funnel, right? Like those yeah, high, yeah. and sometimes those guys can adjust to the different roles. So, I mean, that's the beauty of the art, I guess, of what you're doing is like, who, who are those guys? Um, because not everybody is a, is a half wall guy in the PP, right? There's only two guys on a team that are doing that. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, just kind of a, in that area that we're talking about, Brent Gilchrist, you know, Brent very, very well as we all do. And uh, I'd, I'd known Brent since he was born. Okay, His older brother and me were good friends and blah, blah, blah. Brent goes to the Western Hockey League. He's, you know, he plays with the Kelowna Wings, goes to Spokane in top 10 scoring. You know, uh, he, he gets drafted in the fourth round by the Montreal Canadiens. They send him down to, to Sherbrooke, I believe. Was it Sherbrooke or Cornwall? I can't remember uh, what the farm team was at the time. And so Pat Burns, who is the coach, okay, uh, Hall of Fame coach, he loved Brent the way he played, his grit, determination, played 200 foot in the game. Well, Brent went from a top top 10 scorer in the WHL to one of the best defensive hockey players in the NHL. And did he win the Frank Selke? Or he wasn't he was in line for, for the for that award as a top defensive player. You know, so just because you're a top goal scorer, you know, and you think you got to do this, got to do this to play at the next level, you know, no, you know, you've got your attributes and he changed it completely around. He did the 180 and became a great defensive player. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing that some players are unwilling to do or don't know how to do. Right. I mean, because it is, uh, 
it is hard. I mean, not everybody's a point producer, as I've said now, you know, uh, repeating myself, but like it's those guys. And a lot of times those guys that are drafted, uh, well, it's just like, I mean, the AHL is a, is a, is a major, major junior all-star league, really, right? Yeah. I mean, like it's the best players from the WHL, OHL, and the Q and across the world now that come there. And now, so they've all been kind of the best players on their team. And then that yeah. that that funnel happens again at the NHL level, and and so there's every time you go somewhere you have to reinvent yourself. Usually, like when you're starting somewhere, there's only so many Connor Bedards that are going to get drafted, and they're going to be given the number one spot on the power play with the best players to go fill yeah. the net. You I mean like generally speaking, like you're not walking into those situations, especially if you're like a prospect, let's say in with the Lightning, who've been great now for how many years. Like what? What are those? What are the top guys going to do there? Even if they have a really high skill set, I mean, there's guys in those spots that are going to be there. So you have to, if you want to be an NHL, or you have to do something else, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you want to do, or how will you stay at that level? You know, and like I said, there's only one puck. There's only so many guys that can score. But how do you want to stay on that team? Because you got to be able to do other things. Okay, you were a goal scorer in junior. Okay, you were. I mean, God, you played in the national team. You played in the World Junior Tournament and that. You know, played in the in the in the NHL as well. But you still had to learn the defense, you know. And that's why you stuck around. You had to learn both ends of the rink. And so that's what really has to get through to these kids, you know. I don't always have to get points to maintain my status on a team. You know, what else can you bring to the team? Yeah, and if you're sitting there watching Marty, so you're in the crowd, and because um, the one thing I'm saying, man, Gary Davidson was on the other day, and he's like, you know, I I do look at the points because I mean, some players are just able to do that. Like, I'd like to know like who's able to produce, right? I, that yeah. is something that I want to know. But when I'm when I'm in the crowd, you I mean I'm I'm looking for ways uh, that production happens, right? Like how yeah. how are how are they moving through space, and what 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 are the things that they're doing? And when I'm talking with my players, it's sort of the same thing. Like, don't get wrapped up in the actual results of the production like it's not like you had a better game because you scored two goals but like how did you yeah. create those scoring chances and how are you doing that is, is that yeah. kind of how you do it like how are they manufacturing how are they how, what their puck touches look like necessarily and not really what, what it is at the score sheet in the end of the day i think that's hockey iq okay that's that's another point that i look for <laughs> are you the type of player that gets the puck for a d-man for example do you get the puck and you just bank it off the glass just to get it out of the zone okay do you show composure with the puck? Somebody's on you. Do you hold on the puck just that extra second just to make a good play? Or the opposite, do you hold on to the puck a little bit too long that you get checked? You know, if you're a forward, you know, are you just a dump and chase kid where, you know, you never have the puck? Okay, all you do is chase, 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 chase. And once you get the puck, you know, instead of looking beside you, there's a guy open 10 feet away. Give it to him. No, no, I'm going to dump it in again and I'm going to chase it again, right? So it, there's there's all this hockey IQ that I, that I look at as well, you know. What do you do with the puck when you get it? Uh, are you creative? Is there is there a result to your means or a means to whatever you've done? And that, So it, there's a whole bunch of different components in that. And some players get it quickly. Some players have it already in that. But those are the things we look for. What does a report look like, if, if you wouldn't mind expanding, like as far as you, it, it, maybe there's a criteria, a skill set criteria, and then is there also like a written component of it, of, of, of what of what you think this this player is or could be? We, it, it, what I look for, 
uh, each team has got different things in that, but it's more or less the same. You know, you, we're all looking for the same thing. We're looking for skating. We're looking for hockey IQ, the compete, you know, your agility, your edges, and that. We also write down our uh, 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 notes on, on what we saw, you know. And, again, this is just a compilation of all the of all the notes and all the reports that we've done, not what – that's what gets sent in. And then, like I said, with the midwinter meetings and our end year meetings, you know, we take all that information, we funnel it, and, and then we decide who's going to go where. So the, the coaching staff sees these players, you know, every day, right? They see them on their good days and their bad days. They see them at practices. They see them in the gym. Uh, is, is, that a, is that a resource for you? Like, should, is, is that somebody you call and say, hey, give me the scoop? And, and, and do you think you're getting the, the true scoop when you're asking a coach about his player? How, how, does that whole, how does that whole thing work? I have, I have, my, I have my sources. I'm, I've been doing this long enough where, where I know which guys are going to help me and, pardon the term, who is going to bullshit me, Okay. And, 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 but, you know, 95% of the guys, they tell me how it is. I ask them, are there any red flags, okay, on this kid? Should we be staying away from this kid? I ask them, should you be, should, would you draft a kid and that sort of thing? And, and basically, these kids are all great kids. They're all, they're all great guys. And very, very rarely do you come across where this kid is a real pain in the butt, you know, uh, he's lots of red flags. That kid's not going to be on the team, really, you know, if he's causing that much concern. Um, a lot of the coaches and GMs, they tell me, you know, the backgrounds and their strengths, their weaknesses, you know, they're not going to pump up the kid too much. There's maybe one or two guys that will do that. But I but I like to think that, you know, most of the players or the uh coaching staffs I talk to. I even talk to trainers. I know a few of the trainers in that, and they're more or less the same because they're in the dressing room all the time and they see these kids. Um, I get any type of information that I can just just, just to build uh, a dossier on these kids, right. and they're all pretty good. All right, just take one more short break here from the discussion with amateur scout Marty Stein to uh, let you know about the Peak Potential Hockey Project guided mission. The next one is starting on January 16th. So if you are a hockey player out there and if you want to take your game to the next level in the second half and have an amazing playoff when the lights are the brightest and the games mean the most and you want to spend four weeks with me to tune up your mindset and to tune up your mental agility and keep your confidence sky high and build your resiliency, then I know the place for you. And that's uh, January 16th uh, with me in my guided mission. You'll get four weeks of content. It's only 20 minutes roughly a day of work. Everyone is wondering what that is. It's it's you log in to, uh, to your profile online. It could be on your phone or on your computer. Uh, you watch three or four videos in the day. Uh, there might be an assignment afterwards. The videos are short. They're to the point. You have one from Monday to Friday, and then we have a coaching call, usually Sunday. 
Monday evening is a good time for the players to get together. We cover what the content is. That's a coaching call with me and whoever else is in the group. And then we move on to the next week. So four weeks long, four solid weeks. You get to keep the program after you're done for six months. You can review it again and access the content. And it is making a huge difference for players. So even if you're, I mean, if you're rolling right now and you feel good and you want to get your game to the next level and even higher level, then you should be curious about how to do that. And I suggest you are perfect for the program. If you are maybe struggling or didn't have the first first half that you really like and you really want to dial things up or feel you need to dial things up in the second half, this is also perfect for you. It's going to change some of your storylines. It's going to change some of the narratives that you tell yourself about high performance and what it means to be a hockey player and what it means to you to be a hockey player and where you fit in um, to that to that ecosystem. And one of the things I always say to players when I'm talking to them and they're trying to decide if they want to take the course or not, this is all about building your personal operating manual. That's what the Up My Hockey Peak Potential Project is about. It's about building your operating manual to be your best in any moment, to maximize practice time, to maximize your development, to maximize your on-ice performance, to be able to maximize how you show up in the locker room. All these things is unique to you as an individual and as a hockey player. And we all have strengths and weaknesses as a hockey player, and we all have strengths and weaknesses as an individual, as the person behind the player. And we talk about both sides of that coin, because if you are thinking yourself as exclusively a hockey player, and you haven't thought about yourself as a person that plays hockey, then you're missing the other side of the coin. We need to develop personally to develop the on-ice skills that we want to be able to perform the way we want. So we talk about both those ideas uh, during the four weeks together. And, and if this all sounds new to you, then that's fantastic, because that means there's so much for you to learn and so many new ways for you to turn the dial up on your own development and your own performance. So if that's something you want to take a, take advantage of, January 16th is my next one. Like I said, you can access that and get enrolled at upmyhockey.com. There's also a little onboarding form there. If you're a little bit uncertain, you want to see if the course is right for you, by all means, get on there and do that. Or you can reach out to me on any social media channel and, uh, and ask me whatever question you want. I want people to be comfortable and I want you to make sure that the program is right for you. Um, ideally, I say uh, second year Peewee going up into Bantam is a great place to start, but my goodness, obviously I designed it more for midget junior age players as the ideal uh, age bracket to be in if it's a first time, right? That's when you really should have taken it by now. So get involved if you're a midget Bantam player, uh, if you're in junior for sure and you want to you want to uh, get that D1 scholarship or earn those PP minutes or whatever the case may be, uh, it's, it's, it's open to you and I encourage you to enroll. So once again, now back to my interview with Marty Stein. Yeah, I had uh, I had Scott Borek on, who is the head coach of Merrimack. Uh, Merrimack. Yeah. I, sh- I, 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 I I've told I pronounced that wrong. Merrimack. Um, <laughs> and and he they re- he rebuilt that program there. And as you know, D one head coaches are responsible, and their staff are responsible for the recruiting as well as coaching the team. Right? They, they don't have scouts in the ground. And and one of the things that he said when he went around rebuilding was that he really, for the first time in his career, like put a massive emphasis on the locker room, meaning yeah. like he, he really, paramount for him was like the type of person, like the type of character, like who was coming in. And he, he contacted all the other programs, uh, like the, whoever wore a letter, and he was trying to recruit players from other teams. And anyways, I mean, they're sitting number eight right now in the nation, as high as number five this year. And, 
and this is in a four or five year uh, rebuild is what we call the NHL level and, and it's been yeah. super successful for them so um, as far as like you're saying good kids like I, I, I'm working with these kids too and there are a lot of good kids there's quiet kids there's more kids that are more gregarious right there's kids that are first to the rank and last to go and you know like there's just different ways uh, that are that a locker room's constructed but is, is there is there becoming more of an emphasis on that or like a requirement that like this is the type of person that that we want to be a Buffalo Sabre? I mean, it's like family. You want everybody in your family you want to get along with. And that is a huge emphasis now with with teams is is that locker room. You got to have everybody getting along. And when when and when you're looking at the college level or junior teams, potentially there's, you know, you've got this kid for four years. You know, and the last thing you want to do is have this kid, you know, your first year, all of a sudden he's causing a problem. Okay. And how do you get rid of this kid all of a sudden? At college, you, you can't trade him. Okay. You can release him. You know, I, I don't know how really basically how that works. Are you on the hook for four years of education? You know, in junior level, you trade the kid or you, or you do release him. You know, so, but, um, I think that's that's a that's a huge part. If if everybody gets along, everybody's happy, and when everybody's happy, you get a lot more things done. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting discussion even there because uh, uh, you know the getting along. I think sometimes, like when you say that, I think I think I understand what you're saying. Um, like family, you don't always. It's not always sunshine and rainbows all the time. And I think a good locker room is a locker room that also challenges each other and is competitive, right? Yeah. But it's like how how that happens, right? Like, it is is it a team first mentality of why we're doing this and why we are yeah. competing, or is this about fighting to get your own as an individual? And I think that uh, that is kind of where the psychology aspect from you, the game comes in. Is like what? How is this guy really driven? Right? Is he driven by, you know? spotlights on me or is he driven by like how do we make everyone better around you and i think that is like that's a personal type of you know intrinsic motivation what's his intrinsic motivators and um anyways yeah a, a total science to that though you I mean like when you get the culture right and the rooms right like it is it's a beautiful thing because i mean success happens on the outside i i i think in any sport in any sport regardless of what you're playing in that uh, You've got to have everybody getting getting along. You've got to have everybody as a brotherhood or a sisterhood, and that you've got to have everybody on the same page. And I think that's just the main focus now with teams. I've always been a team guy. I I love team because I I love this guy. I love this guy. I love playing with this guy and this sort of thing. You know, yeah, I play golf and that. But when once you get to the golf course, you're playing with a partner for some money, right? Yeah. Uh, it's still a team thing. You got to get along with the guy. So uh, uh, that's the that's the great feature of playing team sports, you know. And especially when you get dressing room, you can hardly wait about you know until you get into the dressing room. A lot of players, you know, and I'm sure like you when you retired, you know, what do you miss the most? I miss the dressing room. I miss yeah. the room. I miss I I miss the guys, you know. And if you're all on the same page, good things happen. Yeah, for sure. The um... I mean, when you get to know these guys and you're watching throughout the course of a year and I mean, kind of, you know, I guess there's a year cycle, maybe a year and a half cycle where you're looking forward to the next year's draft a little bit while you're watching the guys in front of you. Um, and you probably take these guys out, I would assume, like maybe for dinner, I mean, if you're a Western guy and try and get them to know a little bit, as you're saying, uh, 
is it hard to to disconnect or is there is there a requirement to it like obviously you want these guys to succeed the guys that get signed the guys that get moved on and 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 track them is 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 it is it is there ever like that connection there and also is there ever like do you ever feel compelled to be like say a guy floundering in the a or something's happening there is there ever any phone calls internally with that about well you know maybe you should try him here or i see him i see him being successful more with this role or something like is that is there an organizational kind of communication or is once you draft a guy, it's, it's done? <coughs> no, there is communication, um, uh, both in Detroit and with the Sabres. Um, I routinely got calls for well, one year Fisher in Detroit. He'd give me a call about a kid that I saw in the BCHL, for example, playing college. Marty, you interviewed him. What do you think about him? You know, and, that, and, I, and I'll give him my, uh, I'll give them my my input on that. Uh, by the way, I don't think we take guys out for dinner anymore. <laughs> They're just it, we do so many Zoom meetings and face oh. and FaceTime meetings and that. You know, that's where we do the interviews. And uh, okay. I would like to go out for dinner with them, you know, and, and talk. But um, but then uh, you know, going back with the Sabers and that, uh, I talk to Adam Mayer a lot, you know, and and, and uh, um, so we. We talk a lot about these players. You saw them. What do you think? I give them input. You know, it's not that it's my final word. Yeah, I'll bring the kid up and that sort of thing. Right. There's a number of different avenues that have to come to terms first before we do that. That's funny. That's Marzi's. That's funny. This Marzi's. I was going to say that because I played with him too in the Toronto organization. So that's cool. Oh, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Kevin and Marzi are there, there together. Um, he'd be a good guy to talk to. Actually, I should. I should talk to you. Um, uh, you know what? You can talk to Adam Mayer, talk to Nathan Page, okay? Nathan yeah. Page, both those guys are, are, are just, you know, fantastic guys. That's awesome. Fantastic guys to talk to, very knowledgeable. Uh, a little bit closer to home, and maybe we'll, we're getting close to the, to the time slot here that, I, that, uh, that we agreed on. But I, 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 I find it interesting because, I mean, you, you, you see me now in BCHL ranks, right? Like I'm watching Junior A, and I'm, I'm going to, uh, to, some, to some major junior stuff, and, and comparing the leagues is interesting, right? And now you have a player that's draft eligible in the BCJ and you have a player that's draft eligible in the West and you're trying to, um, you know, project maybe even what he would look like in the WHL, let's say a junior A guy, right? Like what would he do in this league? Um, like maybe I should start there. I mean, I, I assume that you would agree that the WHL is a half step, maybe or a st full step uh, more competitive than the than junior A. Would you Would you agree to that? I'd say full step. You know, yeah. um, uh, I think I think skill level in that. Don't get me wrong. The BCHL has got some some very good players, and every year there's usually about five five to eight players that are drafted out of the BCHL. But the BCHL itself overall is it like it's a Grand Prix league. It's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know, it's a lot of fun to watch. The WHL is really keyed on uh, the pro game. You know, the uh, I mean, let's face it, the kids are bigger. They are more skilled overall in that. But they play they play a pro game just because of the way the coach. You look at the coaches; they're all you know they're all ex NHL players or uh, and uh, NHL personnel or something like that, right? So they're geared in that way. Um, now that's not to say that the BCHL is not talented. I mean, the kids that go to the BCHL, they they're there for a reason. They want to they want to take a step where they go to college, okay, get an education, and if they can play pro, that's going to be bonus. The kids that play in the WHL, 
their first goal right now is to play pro. Okay. They want to forget that college route. College is afterwards. They get all the money, you know, depending on how many years you play, you get money to go to school now. So it's kind of a reverse there, but yeah. So, okay. So, so we're in agreement that, okay. So the WHL is a, 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 I mean, a, a better league or a deeper league, let's say, you yeah. know, and, uh, so now you got a guy like uh, we'll use we'll use the Bradley Nadeau in in Penticton who is you know leading the league in, in points um, by a, him and his brother by a lot. Uh, I've watched him play a few times on on some draft lists. Uh, he's he's listed as potentially a, a first rounder in the NHL draft. That's a, like for me, and no offense to him, like I just don't know if he'd be doing like. If he was in the WHL, I don't see him producing like that. Just for me watching his game, like how how do you do your best to extrapolate what that would look like if he's amongst more of a peer group, you know, a draft eligible peer group? One thing about draft lists, they're just lists. They're resources. You know, it's not it's not the Bible. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like there's a, a central scouting puts out their lists and. There's, there's always guys on there that we question, you know, where they're rated and that sort of thing. And that's why we go out and, and see them play. Uh, kid like Nadeau, he's got a lot of talent. You know, he's going to be going to college. He's grown something like two, three inches this past year. He can skate. He's really skilled and that sort of thing. That's at the BCHL level. You put him in the WHL, is he going to do the same thing? I don't know. I don't know. It all depends on who he plays with. He's fortunate. He's playing on probably the top junior A team in all of Canada, you know. So they kind of have their way with with uh, with 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 teams. So that's is he going to get drafted? He's going to get drafted. Yes. Where we don't know yet, you know. Right. But to say that he's a you know a top end first round pick. You're going by what he does in the BCHL. You're not going by what he could do. Yeah, so. I know that's a tough one. I mean, everyone. I mean, Kale McCarr and obviously his success is. Uh, you know, people are like, how could how could three players go be, be before Kale McCarr? Right? But he got drafted mm-hmm. out of the AJHL, and I think, I mean, that has to have some type of influence. I mean, if he was doing that, in which he, I'm sure he maybe would have, you know, at the WHL level or at a little higher league, then it would have been a little bit easier to to accept the fact that maybe this guy is a generational type player. But, I mean, that's just my two cents, I, I assume. I never watched him his draft year, so I have no idea. I don't even know the other guys that went ahead of him, really, what their years were like. But um, but it's, I mean, credit to him to go that high from from the AJ in the first place. Well, Kale, well, Kale McCarr is probably one of the best interviews I ever had He's, uh, when, when, when he was in Brooks. Quick side note, he also had uh, 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 the privilege of being able to play for Team Canada, he also, like, he played at the international level when it came to the World Junior A Challenge. He was yeah. also in the uh, top prospect game uh, against all players around, sort of thing. Whereas Nadeau, because the BCHL was no longer involved with the CJHL, all you seen was in the is in the BCHL. So right. there's no really comparables yet. And that where Makar, he had a lot more games against a lot more higher competition. But gotcha. But you could still see it. You know, Makar was phenomenal. And if you were to do the draft again, he'd probably go one. Who knows? Yeah. You know? so. Yeah. Yeah, I think for sure. He, uh, yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, that's right. Because he, I mean, he played World Junior, and so you do get to see him against, you know, you know the, the, the top prospects, whereas, whereas Nadeau won't. Is there, um, 
Do you, do you think that's the same this year as far as the BCJ is concerned? Do you, do you, do you, have you identified five to eight or ten players that you think will probably get their names called this year? Um, yeah, five. I think there'll be five. You know, um, you know, there might be some dark horses. There always is in that, but but right now there's you know there's five guys that are that are legit drafts, not high end by any means. Maybe the Nado kid, you know, he yeah. might be taken. You know. Top three, well, I'd say it's two, three, four, or something like that. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but 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 there's some later on picks too. When they're um, a player like uh, Shane Doan's son, who went didn't get drafted his first year of eligibility, and then I think he came back and was a first rounder. I think maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. The second year of eligibility, and now I believe the players are eligible for three years. Uh, I haven't been tracking the draft obviously nearly as closely as you would. How, how many players in their second year and third year of eligibility are are going now? Like, is there many players that are overlooked in that first year that are actually you know draft eligible or worthy? Yeah. Oh yeah. There are not as many. Like you like to take the kid in his first year, and now, but there's a lot of kids that are, that you know that I'm sorry, they take a little bit more time to mature. Like you don't jump from grade eight to grade twelve, right? So it, it, uh, Austin Rose, for example, Stacy's kid. Okay, here's a kid that didn't get drafted last year. You know, he's a good player. He's he's lighting up the Western League now. He's in the top ten scoring. You know, I, I saw him last night in Kamloops. Uh, he had a hell of a game. Is is he going to get drafted? Oh yeah, he is. Where I don't know, you know. But but there's a kid in the second year of eligibility and who's really proven himself because he's gotten bigger, a year older, stronger in that, and a lot right. more knowledgeable. Yeah, that's cool actually because I mean even from an opportunity standpoint, you know, it's tough to if you're on a good team, it's tough to step in as a 17 year old. And if it's your first year and, and to be in a position where you're getting big minutes, right. And can kind of be an impact guy. So yeah. uh, I even know, like for, for instance, my, one of my guys who, who I'm a big fan of Nathan Mackey there and, and salmon arm, right. Like he yeah, yeah. first year of draft eligibility was last year and he was just new to the league and trying to figure it out. And he I mean, earned a spot in the PK and everything else, but he wasn't in a position to really, you know, I mean, establish himself as a, as an NHL prospect, but this year he's wearing the C, he's playing in all minutes, you know, he's yeah. got 16 goals. Like, I mean, I don't know if he's going to get drafted or not, if he's on that radar, but like I could see a player like him, like, okay, now, now you get to see him a little bit more, right. You get to understand a little bit more about him and, and, um, and understand what, what his engine's like. So I, I do like, uh, I do see how that can definitely happen just from an opportunity standpoint as well. Well, you know, it's just because again, it, if you don't get drafted in your first year of eligibility or your second year of eligibility, you end up going to college, you know, you got four years there. Mark Howell, he said it best, this is quite a few years ago, says, you know what, sometimes it's the best thing not to get drafted because if you get drafted, you are stuck in that team's, you know, tree of skill and uh, uh, prospects and that. You might, not, you might not get out of that tree ever. If you go to college and you become a free agent and you develop and you, each year you get better and better and better, all of a sudden, you're going to have 32 teams knocking on your door, and that's and that's what's happened. I have yeah. a separate list of of BCHL players. You know, they're 19, 20 years old. I give it to our guys and say, "Hey, here's a kid here, or a list of kids. Keep an eye on them. They might be good free agents down the road." But yeah. they, they've been identified. You follow them. If it works out, great. If not, they got their education. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean. We all know how hard it is to make the NHL, and especially from a later round 
draft, right? Like, yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of the times, and I've even told my own story, quite honestly, Marty, like, you know, you, when you're a drafted guy out of the, out of the WHL, like the window for you to become an NHLer is shorter. It, it just really is, you know, oh, like yeah. from the guys that are going to college. I mean, I, I was 22 years old and led the AHL in goals. And, and at 23, I was kind of not even a, you know, like you, you lose that luster, right? Like I remember yeah, Jason Kroc yeah. coming in as a Hobie Baker award winner. He was a year older than me, signed for a million bucks, uh, played on my team as a, and he's, we're still buddies. I mean, we've joked about this before, but I mean, him as a rookie a year older than me, um, had like 20 less points than me in the AHL that year, but he was like, yeah. the, he was the guy. And I was the guy yeah. that was like, I was a has-been at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, it was yeah. just oh, I know. only the way it works, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, there's always somebody behind you wanting your job, you yeah. know, and, and, and the older you get, the more, the more that back end starts piling up. So yeah. you just got to keep going and you know it as well as I do. So keep going. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's one thing I like about the, about the college unit. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change my major junior experience for anything. I, I love playing in Spokane and it was fantastic four years there. But as far as the longevity of the game, the guys that go to college, like um, whether you're drafted or not, even in that environment, like you said, you have longer to sign those guys, right. At NHL teams. But even if you're undrafted, I mean, you're coming out of there at 22, 23 years old and you're a man and you've had a lot of time yeah. in the gym and everything else. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it does. I think it extends your, your, uh, your life a little bit there going that way. But, uh, yeah, exactly. Try telling us these kids, my son's one of them. He wants to go major junior and, you know, straight to the oh, NHL yeah. and everything oh, yeah. else. Right. <laughs> yes. You just want to get to the airport, get on the plane, and take off. Yeah, Never mind security and checking in. Just go. Just go. <laughs> that's that's a great analogy, yeah, for sure. Anyways, well, Marty, thanks so much for spending uh, you know seventy five minutes here with us. Uh, I know you've been around the game, and you'd have been a you'd have been a fun guy to talk to. So thanks for thanks for doing that and sharing your your wisdom with with all the families and players out there. I, I know there's a lot to learn from our talk. So thanks for sharing with us. Thank you very much, and I and I hope I helped a bit. So. You definitely did. Thank you so much, and best of luck with. I wish we didn't even talk about Buffalo, but my goodness, I mean, what an exciting year for you guys. You know, um, it must be it must be super cool to be a part of something that is now finally like growing. Right? It's been it's been a long yeah, time, and it looks like you guys are on the cusp of doing something pretty great there. Youngest team in the league right now, and they're a lot of fun to watch. So, wow. so we might we might let a lot of goals in, but we score a lot too. So that that's that's good. Hey, we'll leave you with a prediction. Um, well, maybe two, two, two questions about the Sabres. I actually, did, I wanted to talk to you about them. One, where do you think um, Thompson's going to end up this year, as far as goals is concerned? What's his final number going to be? I like to think he can get fifty. He's still got a lot of goal. Like he's still got a lot of games, and he plays power plays, playing top line. I like to think he'll score fifty. He's on you pace know, for sixty-six. I yeah, think, yeah, right yeah. So I mean, hitting fifty—that's just magic. You know, what a great con! If he continues that, like, what an amazing deal for the Sabers as far yeah, as like what they yeah. just signed him for, right? Yeah, like he's yeah. he's looking like a hard trophy winner right now, yeah. um, in a lot of ways. So yeah, super cool. And the other guy I wanted to ask you about was um, Dylan Cousins. So I know you weren't there for that draft, but he's a WHL guy and and uh, a point of game guy right now. I think he's super under the radar as far as how effective he's he's being in that. Uh, yeah. in that ecosystem there what what do you uh, do you watch the big club i guess i should ask first of all is that something you keep eyes on yeah yeah you know what i uh, i i interviewed dylan when i was with detroit i i interviewed him in in lethbridge and uh like any kid in his draft year that he looks like a high school point guard you know he's in his shorts and his t-shirt and he's about 160 pounds soaking wet 
And, uh, but he's a great interview, and he, he's a very outgoing person. His dad's a judge, or no, his mom's a judge, and no, the dad's a judge. Mom's a prosecutor. You know, they're from Whitehorse, and you know, just just a very uh, uh, upbringing family, but very very human, very very kind-hearted person, and uh, and uh, uh, you know, he he loves the game, and it shows out in the ice. Oh, that's cool. And that maybe goes back to what we were talking about, the locker room, right? Like putting putting good people who are also good hockey players in, in those positions. Yeah, uh, I can do this all day. I am going to ask one more follow-up question because of what you just said there. You said a great interview. So I think that's really important for the guys to listen to. Like how how, how would you define a great interview or how do you be how do you be impressive as a player in a, in an interview situation? Just be yourself. You know, just just be yourself. Um, don't 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 try to BS of what you are when you're not that that type of player. You know, tell me about your strengths. Tell me about your weaknesses. Be honest. You know, tell me you love the game. Don't tell me that you're there because your mom and dad want you to be there. You know, <laughs> uh, it's you know I want I want the real you. You know, and and by the time you get to that level, you are. You know, these kids want to be there. They're there. They're there for a reason. I'm interviewing you for a reason because I want you to potentially be a part of our organization. So, but uh, you know, that's, that's basically what I look for. It's that authenticity. I think, you know, it's come up uh, and I think that's the locker room too. You know, like guys who are authentically themselves are, are, are usually good teammates because you know where they stand, you know what they're about, you know? And, um, and I think that's the thing when you start seeing guys are like contrived answers, you know, manufactured responses, um, their agent's here. answers. The agent will tell you this is what you this is what you say. Right. Don't give me that crap. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> awesome. Anyways, well, we will cut this one off. Thanks again, Marty. Um, I uh, I will see you around some rinks, I'm sure, and uh, we'll compare we'll compare compare player notes. <laughs> you betcha. Thanks again for having me. Appreciate Cheers, it, Marty. Thanks so much for spending your time with me and Marty today on your drive or during your workout or wherever you might be might be listening to this uh, to this portion. I appreciate you sticking around to the end. And and as always, I mean, lots of great takeaways here from from Marty Stein, uh, amateur amateur scout with the Buffalo Sabers, and um, so many good things for young players to understand, to hear, uh, and to know what what how scouts are looking and and how important your off ice your off ice character is your what your what you're made of, who you are as a person, right? And how you bring that authenticity into the locker room and also onto the ice surface to allow your your competitive nature to shine and to allow your your team spirit to show and, and that these guys dig deep now, you know? And like he says, you I mean, to be a WHL player even, to be an OHL player, to be a, a college hockey player, you not only have to be a good hockey player, but you have to be a pretty darn good person. But even like anything else, right, like the levels of good people, a level of good teammate is, um, what's the way to put it? It's it's magnified, right, at those levels. So always be working on your interpersonal game, right? How, How can you build relationships in that locker room? How can you be a better teammate? How can you supply energy in that locker room that's going to make everyone around you better because this is something that not only uh, scouts are looking for but coaches want and general managers want i love that that was a topic of conversation here today with with marty and and once again the takeaway of you know being competitive something that i think 
totally is a controllable, something that you need to understand in your game, what that looks like. What does consp- competitive spirit look like? Where can you show that and how do you do that? Uh, whether, you're a, whether you're a playmaker, a, a small 160-pound playmaker, or whether you're a, you're a big bruising defenseman, there are different ways to show compete. And, uh, and that is definitely something that scouts want. Uh, composure with the puck. If you are someone that gives the puck away without knowing what you're doing with it, that has to stop immediately. I don't care if you're 8 years old or 18 years old. This is something that you need to embrace as a player. Make intentional decisions with the puck. There's only one on the ice, as Marty says, and you need to love it when you have it. That doesn't mean overhandling it, doesn't mean carrying it just for the sake of carrying it, but that means being intentional with your distribution of it and making plays on purpose, right? That is something that stands out a mile away when a player does not know what he's doing with the puck, does not look like he wants the puck, and makes poor decisions with the puck. So puck awareness and hockey IQ are huge things that scouts are looking for. And at the younger ages, it's definitely a time to apply that and to really grow that, whether that be in practice or in your games. So anyways, awesome, great stuff from Marty. Uh, Really appreciate Marty if you're listening now and whoever else is listening. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for starting 2023 off of the Up My Hockey podcast on an awesome note. And um, until next time, play hard and keep your head up.